Welcome to the Strange Harbors Podcast, a weekly discussion of film, television, and pop culture. My name is Jeff Zhang, and tonight I'm joined by... Amir Toure. And Derek Wong. The day is finally here. Our national nightmare is finally over, right? (laughs) (laughs) We are doing our best films of 2023 episode. I think I speak for all of us when I say this is always my favorite episode to do every year, as we run down each of our personal top 10 lists of the movies we saw last year. I think 2023 was pretty much an amazing year for film, probably one of the best years we've had in a long, long time. I don't know if you guys agree with me, but it's always exciting to see what we all have on our lists. And as usual, we haven't discussed with each other beforehand our picks, so we're bound to get some fun surprises in this episode. But before we begin, any thoughts on this last year as a whole, 2023? I think at first I would have disagreed with you and said it didn't feel like such an amazing year. But then when Mm. I tried to make a list of the top 10 movies of the year, I kept feeling like I had to go to 15 or 20 because there were so many that Mm -hmm. were really, really good. I still think there's like a standout five or six, but then like everything from six through 20 – is all still really, really, really good and kind of interchangeable. So there's a lot of really, really, really good movies this year. That's exactly what I was going to say. From my 20 to exactly that, like six or seven, it's all really, really close. I had the toughest time this year making a top 10. So much so that my article that I wrote for my site is a top 20, not a top 10. It's a sign of a good year, I think, when... And I don't know both of your guys' lists that I want to guess already that we are going to have some pretty different lists this year. Huh, interesting. I did listen to our last two years of doing this. Like, I re-listened to it because I just mm-hmm. kind of wanted to see, you know, where our heads were at, trying to remember how we formatted our episodes. And listening to those episodes, we all had pretty decent overlap, right? In the sense that we did have certain movies at the same spot, but we also had the same movies in different spots. But there was good overlap in all of our lists. I'm thinking about you guys had Titan as your number one movie in 2021, but we all had Pig, right? Somewhere on our list. I think it's a good sign when this year it's going to be different for us. And let's start this off. I think, Amir, you said that there may be a consensus of maybe like a five. I might shock you when I think that consensus you're thinking is nowhere on my list. I am honestly not shocked. I am (laughs) actually pretty excited to hear your top 10 because I'm pretty sure it's going to be very different from mine. I think Mm -hmm. Jeff and I have a bunch in common just because I've read your article, Jeff. (laughs) Yeah. I'm fairly certain, Derek, you're going to have some different choices. And Jeff's going to yell at me. I'm excited for that. (laughs) I don't yell. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Unlike any other year, I'm not going to yell at you because I think a lot of these movies are defensible this year. There were just so many really good movies. I think you can make a completely different top 10 from me and have all those movies be like, wow, those are all really good too. And I'll start it off. Let's talk about some of our honorable mentions, right? Or movies that maybe like were on your short list that didn't make your final 10 this year, right? I'm going to start off and look, Oppenheimer is not on my list. Killers of the Flower Moon is not on my list. Wow. 
May December is not on my list. Wow. Ferrari is not on my list. Godzilla Minus One is not on my list. And Jeff, this might be shocking. And I think this was shocking to me. I really thought this was going to make my list before I saw this movie. But The Zone of Interest is not on my list. Oh, wow. I'm not surprised. We have very different (laughs) lists then, because I think everything you just named is my list. (laughs) So it's going to be very different. Okay. Yeah. I'm not surprised. But are any of those honorable mentions or some of them aren't even honorable mentions for you, Derek? No, they're all honorable mentions. They all make my short list, right? They're all movies that I think I enjoyed in some capacity, but evaluating, you know, the ones that did make it on my list versus these ones, like I just like the ones that made it on my list a little bit more, right? It's hard for me sometimes to like pick between like what I think objectively is probably a better movie versus something I just liked more, right? That resonated with me some more that in my heart, I just love this movie. It could be argued that some of the movies that are on my honorable mentions are, you know, technically better movies, right? When it comes to maybe like craft or direction or acting or writing, right? But there's just something about my top 10 that I just love this year. Yeah. Can't wait to get to Super Mario yeah, Brothers Super Mario. and <laughs> Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken. Definitely make an appearance on Derek's list. <laughs> I like that, Derek, because I, I mean, obviously with any kind of art, there's going to be some subjectivity. And I do yeah. also find myself thinking about the yeah. balance between I want to reward a movie that I think is in some way, quote unquote, objectively good, where I recognize like the craft and the technique that goes into it and rewarding something where I'm just like, man, I just like this movie. This just mm-hmm. plays to my tastes, you yeah. know? And I definitely recognize that tension. And I think from what you said, I think you struck a fine balance. I, th- I think it's good to err on the side of making a top 10 that's your top 10. Because if you want a top 10, it would just like what the average, I don't know, cinephile thinks is the best 10 movies of the year. You can find those top 10 lists anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. your top 10 has to be like based on your taste, you know? Yeah. I don't know. If you're Chinese and you have a bunch of Chinese movies on there, that's cool. That's different from what everyone's doing. If you're black and you put a bunch of black movies, you're gay. I don't know. Whatever. Like yeah. put movies on there that are meaningful to you for whatever reason. So. Well, I mean, Derek, you came out of the gate swinging last year. You had Prey, which wasn't on either of our lists, yep. which was a great fucking pick. It surprised both of us. Mm-hmm. That was such a good pick for your number 10. That was Thank so you. cool. You Thank know? you. It's always good to see some genre representation. It was a super fun pick, and it was a really good movie, and totally deserving of that spot, you know? So I'm excited to see, especially now that you're saying like so many of the ones that are on our lists aren't on yours. I'm excited to see what's on it. So, yeah, what are some of the ones that I guess ultimately didn't make it onto your guys' list? So, movies I thought about but didn't make my list. Past Lives. Mm-hmm. I really like Past Lives but didn't quite make the cut for me. I thought about D&D. I thought that was really good from earlier in the year and I mm-hmm. think I started mm-hmm. to forget about it now that 2023 is all the way done. Yeah, that was on my like, short list That too, was towards yeah. the of the year but that was such a surprise, fun, really good movie. Poor Things I liked a lot but didn't quite make the top 10. Oh, Okay. Uh, I really like the holdovers too. That didn't quite make it either. What about you, Jeff? Uh, well, you said you have eleven through twenty, right? Like, so what are some? Yeah, I have an eleven through twenty. So really, my twenty through six could be interchangeable. Mm-hmm. Like next week, I could feel differently about some of these. I don't know. I mean, this year was just so 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 good. If we want to run down my twenty to eleven real quick, my twenty is sick. The COVID slasher movie from john hyams mm-hmm. who directed universal soldier day of reckoning really really fun horror movie that was a great theatrical experience 19 anthony chen's the breaking ice this movie about china's lost youths and ephemeral friendships that was really good i like that one too 18 was the five devils 
very weird French movie. Not as weird as Titan, but a very naughty, tricky little fantasy movie that I really liked. 17 was Priscilla, which we covered before. Sofia Coppola. 16 was The Boy and the Heron. Miyazaki movie. 15 was Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. One of the better action movies of the year. 14 was Skinamarink, which you guys fucking hated. (laughs) (laughs) But one of my favorite horror movies of the year. 13 was Knock at the Cabin. M. Night Shyamalan's movie that I think most of us forgot about, but I still haven't forgotten about its craft, its performances. Dave Bautista is really good in that. 12 is Past Lives, which was very, very high on my top 10 in the first half of the year. And then it kind of slowly dropped a couple spots to number 12. And then 11 was John Wick Chapter 4, the best action movie of the year, probably. So those were my honorable mentions that could very well be in the top 10. This year was just too good. So I wanted to ask, typically... On our episodes, if you've noticed, and we always like to ask, you know, what was your theater experience like, right? Like, we always like to kind of mm-hmm. gauge, like, how our theaters were, and, like, sometimes some fun stories come out of it. I thought it'd be kind of fun for our year-end top 10 to ask, do you guys have a favorite movie-going experience, or one that was really memorable to you guys? Yeah, I mean, Sick was really fun. I saw that at Toronto, and full midnight crowd was always fun. What else was a good theater experience? Mission Impossible. Pretty much like action movies and horror movies Mm -hmm. are really good for theatrical experiences. John Wick Chapter 4 was really great. Mm -hmm. Past Lives was actually really good. People were sobbing in my theater, which was interesting to see. Really affected people. So I I really dug that experience. Those waves of emotions hitting people. It's it's nice to see cinema having that kind of effect, you know? What about you, Amir? Oppenheimer was... uh... A good one. Mm. Went to go see that in the LIMAX, in the big screen. Uh, the was, LIMAX. <laughs> that was good. Uh, Ferrari was great. Saw that with family. Creed 3. Saw that with you, Jeff. Thanks for not shouting that out. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. I obviously thought of that movie experience more fondly than you did. That's fine. Um, <laughs> uh, that was so early in the year, though. Uh, oh, okay. All right. I got it. That's cool. That makes sense. We can't talk about that uh, movie anymore, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... Those are probably the most memorable. I will do one shout out. And this is for a movie that we didn't talk about, we didn't review. Do you guys remember during the year there's like, uh, what was it called? Uh, National Cinema Day. All showings were like $4. Do you guys remember that? No. I vaguely remember. It was like sometime in August. Any theater you went to, any showing you went to was $4. So I was like, I'm going to take this opportunity to go see a movie in a format that I normally would not want to pay any money for, right? I was looking at Screen X showings. I was looking for 40X showings. I can't remember the movie that was in the Screen X showings, but they were all sold out by the time I started looking. Wait, is Screen X the one that wraps around? It's like the panoramic one? The, yeah, 720 kind of view where it's like three screens. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then the 40X is the one where the seat moves. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, I'm normally not going to pay like, what, what is it, like 20, 30 bucks for this seat that normally it is. So on this National Cinema Day, it was like $4. So I found a seating for Gran Turismo and 40X. That sounds awesome, oh, actually. Cool. <laughs> That's why you like this. You know what? It might have had an influence on my perception of the movie because the theater was packed. The seats were moving like you were in a car. Dude, it was a fun time. 
I don't know if I would rep for 40X too much, but I think this was a good movie to actually watch in 40X. And like my theater mm. was into it. You know, when he wins the race, they were hooting and hollering. And that was probably the most fun I actually had in a theater this year. Okay, I got to ask you. So in the movie, he plays the video game. Yes. Does the seat move when he plays the video game or only when he's in the car? <laughs> in the video game too. Because, you know, in that scene, he pretends like he's in the car, oh, right? So okay. it also still moves like he's driving the car, yes. Okay. I mean, there was points where like water was spat at me. I don't quite like that. Wait, 40X does that too? That's like the water and shit? Yeah, I hate that. I don't like that. Um, it's like smell-o-vision and stuff. You get smells in there I don't too, know. No? We didn't get smells. <laughs> we didn't get smells, but I did get some light misting in my face, which is not... Yeah. I don't like that either. I wouldn't like that. I would that. definitely cut that out. All right. So are we ready to start getting into our list? Yeah, man. Let's do it. Yeah. I don't know why. I went all out this year. I pulled up some stats on my list. So you guys can start thinking about what my list might be. I mean, you already know some of the movies that are not on my list but okay so my list contains six best picture nominations 37 overall oscar nominations three of my directors are female directors my movies span 20 hours and 38 minutes or 1238 minutes my box office is 1.1 billion if you total all my movies together because genres can intermingle with other genres, I have what I consider six dramas, two romance movies, four comedies, one thriller, one animated movie, one international movie, three movies based on an IP, an existing IP. And then I looked at the months. So my movies, their release dates span seven out of the 12 months. And of course, December being like the heaviest of that concentration. That's cool. Just the metrics. I wish I had done that myself. <laughs> if you want to do my metrics for me, you can edit it Oh, and then I'll here. cut it in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So my number 10 movie of this year is David Fincher's The Killer. Ooh, yeah, The Killer rap. I didn't realize you liked it that much. I remember, you know, when we were talking about the episode, I had issues with the ending. But I think after talking with you guys, you guys convinced me that, you know, those issues weren't as big as I thought they were. And honestly, I still think this is the best, maybe like first 30 minutes of a movie I saw this year. I think that setup with him monologuing and him doing that first hit was great. I still think about the various hits in this movie. I think this movie is so funny. I honestly love this movie. You don't have to give the position, but is this anywhere on your guys' list? Oh, yeah. It is on my list. So it's funny that we convinced you this movie was good because it didn't make my list. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's so funny. But That's this so is funny. the story of 2023, though. That so many of these movies were so good. This could easily have made my list. It's not like I didn't like this, right? Absolutely. My number nine is Alexander Payne's The Holdovers. I think when we did our review, I think I love this one the most out of all of us. I probably was the most favorable. I just love how, and I don't mean to slight it in any way, like how simple this movie is, right? It's wholesome. It's got great performances. And I love that it's just kind of this really heartfelt Christmas story, right? It's got a great performance by Paul Giamatti, a breakout role for uh, Dominic Sessa, mm -hmm. and Divine Joy Randolph. If you're trying to stack up performances this year, I don't know if you're going to find a movie that has the three leads are just doing like top-notch work. I loved, loved The Holdovers this year. Amir, I know you said it didn't make your list. And Jeff, I think you already said it didn't make your list either, right? Yeah, it didn't make my list. But very feel-good movie, cozy movie. I just think... In a year that's so strong, I personally didn't have room for cozy on my list, but 
it's a fair choice. People love this movie. I mean, I love this movie too. I think this is going to be, like I said during our Holdovers episode, Christmas staple, yeah. right? I think it's a very solid choice for a top 10 list. A lot of people have it on there. So My number eight movie of this year is Your Girl Slanthimos's Poor Things. I absolutely adore this movie. We said it just, what, last week. You know, I think it's a very brave performance from Emma Stone. My money is, I actually think that she might win Best Actress for this role. I, not to say that I don't think Lily Gladstone is amazing in Killers, but I don't know. If I were to put my money on someone, it might be on Emma Stone. I think this is one of the funniest movies I've seen. One of the weirder movies that we've seen this year. And I honestly love this kind of uh, coming of age, like finding, you know, your self in this weird, quirky world where your dad's a scientist who spells out weird gaseous bubbles and you're on this journey and you are a child in this woman's brain that is developing. And as you grow older, you're discovering sex and your body and what it means to be a woman in this world, but then also discovering how to be an adult, you know, as you grow, well, not really physically too much in this movie, but, you know, mentally, uh, I don't know. I quite love the journey that we go with Bella on this movie. That is a lot of words for I like to see Emma Stone fuck. But all right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Amir. <laughs> Amir, you said this wasn't on your list. Jeff, is this anywhere on your list? It is not. Oh. I think we did a lot of incepting of Derek. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. I really did love this movie. So This is another one that I wish could have made in my list. Like, there were so many. My number seven movie of the year is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. In a year where we got a lot of part ones, I think this is definitely the best part one we've gotten in any installment of any franchise this year. And honestly, I love this story. I think there are times where I think I love this one maybe even more than the first one. You know, I've seen it now like three times, watched it again really recently. I love the story for Miles. I love the development for Gwen's character, I think, in this movie. I love just the advancement of the art style. Like, you know, I thought that Into the Spider-Verse was really pushing it, and then they just took it up to another level for this movie. I am just so excited to see the conclusion of this movie. Yeah. This make any of your guys' list? It did not. I'm going to say this a lot. It didn't, but it could have. So I thought about how much I liked the first Spider-Verse, and I think this one just suffered by the comparison. But it was also really good. And yeah, some of that animation, especially towards the beginning, like the paper renaissance world and all the stuff they were doing with the watercolor Gwen world and all of it was so beautifully done. It easily could have. This is another one where 2023 was so, so packed that it easily could have and it just didn't. On principle alone, I cannot put a part one Mm. in a top 10, I feel. I've done it already. I did Dune 1. Yeah. Didn't we all do Dune 1? No, I don't think Jeff had Dune part one. I don't think I had Dune part one on there. Yeah. Derek, interesting. But if I were to put a part one in my top 10, it would have been Mission Impossible over this. Oh, that's true. You had it in your 11 through 20, right? I think Mission Impossible's part oneness is done a little better than this. Mm. This one just kind of cuts you off at the knees and you're left floundering Mm -hmm. for more when, you know, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning part one pretty much had an arc for that movie that, you know, will obviously continue in whatever the next one's going to be titled. It's definitely not Dead Reckoning Part 2 because they changed it, but, you know, it's not as abrupt. Yeah, I don't necessarily disagree with that. You know, I had my issues with 
Mission Impossible this year. Like, in my opinion, it was a little bit of a step down since the last couple mm. Mission Impossibles. For, so for me, it was like, I didn't really think about it when I came to this yeah, yeah, list yeah. this year. So yeah, but I did really love Spider-Man Across Spider-Verse. So yeah, I mean, the artistry is undeniable yeah. for Spider-Man. It's really, really gorgeous to look at. And one of the best animated movies of the year. I really did like it. And for a year where all the cape shit was pretty middling and disappointing, this was pretty good. This was a good one. Probably the best of the year, right? Is there a better superhero movie this year than that? Well, in 2023 than that one? Not in my opinion. I liked Guardians, but probably not as much as this. I would agree. That's the first thing that came to my mind when you asked that question, Amir, and I still like Spider-Man more than Guardians. Yeah, I I agree. Guardians didn't even come to mind, so... All right. Well, my number six movie of the year is Greta Gerwig's Barbie. Nice. In the Barbenheim era, are we allowed to put both of them on our list? I think we had to pick one or the other. And I went the Barbie direction. (laughs) I rewatched this movie and honestly, I love it. I love that it's like you said, Jeff, it reminds me a lot of horror things, right? This journey for this character of development and growth and kind of finding oneself and You know, even Ken gets his own arc. I enjoyed the interplay between the two characters. And I just honestly love the world that Greta Gerwig builds with the actual like Barbie land. And so, yeah, I absolutely love this movie. I know for a fact it's not on neither of you guys' list. (laughs) 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 All right. Derek Feminist Hero, Jeff and Amir Misogynists. Got it. Yes. Yeah, clearly. Yeah, it's not on my list. I'm cooling on this movie a little bit. Maybe I need a rewatch, but... <laughs> Me too. <laughs> just the more I think about it, the less I'm like, did this ride the coattails of Oppenheimer being good? And it was just, oh, it's all a phenomenon together. Like, I don't know. Like, I enjoyed it. I don't know. I, I don't want to think about it too hard because I think I'll like it less and less. <laughs> How many people have been so upset that both Greta Gerwig and... Margot Robbie haven't been nominated. Like, I don't know if they would agree with your statement, right? That this isn't good enough and that it's writing the coattails of Oppenheimer. This debate is actually embittering me towards this movie. I think the people who are upset that, you know, Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie didn't get nominated is making me dislike the movie more and more. I mean, Greta Gerwig, obviously accomplished director. This is a huge monumental achievement for her. And it's a movie that I actually really did like. If you remember our episode, Mm -hmm. we all liked this movie. But if you're going to make me choose between all the other Best Director nominees, of course, there's another woman in there, Justine Triette, which no one ever fucking talks about. It's like, oh, she got beat by four other men, which is not true. And I'm going to give it to Justine Triette over Greta Gerwig, who put a Chevy commercial in the fucking Barbie movie. You know (laughs) what I mean? That whole sequence is a Chevy commercial. Come on, it looks like a car commercial. So, like, I can't in good conscience, give her a Best Director nod for that. You know what I mean? Isn't this Greta Gerwig's worst movie? I think it's her worst movie, even though it's very good. But I think her other movies are better. To be fair, to say it's her worst movie doesn't necessarily mean it's not one of the best of the year. Yeah, no, 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 no. no, no, no. Yes. I, I don't know. I liked her other stuff better. This didn't quite make the cut for me either. I have seen plenty of lists where this is not on their list. You know, I've seen plenty of lists where it is, right? This movie in particular is very contentious, especially near the end of this year, you know, uh, leading up into like Oscar season and leading up to people like creating these top 10 lists. I've definitely seen, I think this is kind of the movie weirdly that is drawing some kind of air out of people and I don't understand it and I don't necessarily agree with it. Put it on your list or don't put it on your list, right? If you didn't love it as much as me, I totally understand. All right, we're at the halfway point of my list and 
I know that me and Jeff don't have much overlap. Now I'm also feeling like me and Amir are not going to have much overlap at all, (laughs) (laughs) which is really interesting. I thought maybe me and you might have a little bit more, but this is quite interesting. I'm going to be the outlier this year. No, this is good. All right. Well, let's go into my number five movie of the year, which is Priscilla. Oh. Trying to burnish those feminist bona fides. (laughs) (laughs) I found it. So fascinating that I think this was the movie that surprised me the most. I went into this movie not knowing what to expect and coming out of this just gobsmacked. I think that having watched Elvis just last year, and I I mentioned this in our review, that just the contrast and like thinking about that movie and this movie together, and it's just the way it portrays Elvis, the way it portrays Priscilla. Both those movies, the way that portrays the Colonel, like it's just so fascinating of like a think piece between these two movies. And I love her choice of actress in Kaylee Spaney. Like we talked about how young she looks. Jacob Lordy, I think, is great as Elvis, but then also like in stature, like this kind of dominating like presence. I love the depiction of Graceland and like just this short period in Elvis's life, right? This focus of this time he was with Priscilla. Honestly, adore this movie. I mean, this was on my honorable mentions. It was number 17. Mm -hmm. And like you said, I think being in conversation with last year's Elvis, being so close together, I think it bolsters both movies, right? I think it's so fascinating to watch those movies back to back and... I think Kaylee Spaney's incredible. Yeah. She should have taken the fifth spot in Best Actress mm. over Annette Benning. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. I can see that. Nyad, which is not to knock it, but come on, that's a fake ass movie. <laughs> 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 Who's seen Nyad, right? Not me. I actually haven't. I'm going to, but I haven't yet. So, my number four movie, which I actually don't know if. Either of you actually have seen this movie, but it is Andrew Haig's All of Us Strangers. Have either of you seen this? No. One that flew over my head this year, I've heard really good things about it, but I have not seen it. Yeah. So good on you for squeezing that one in because I've heard great things about it. This was like the very end of the year, right? Yes. Because I only started hearing about it very late in the year, and I've been trying to catch up on all the the end-of-the-year stuff, and I just didn't get around to this one. Mm -hmm. I caught it only a couple weeks ago. It finally hit, you know, in my city, and I know, like, it didn't really get any awards love. I honestly think Andrew Scott could have been nominated. I think, you know, Andrew Haig could have been nominated for Best Director. Like, I really love this movie, and I I could talk about it a little bit more. It's really in conversation with another movie that I have on my list. If people don't know the premise of this movie is that, you know, Andrew Scott is a playwright and he's kind of having this writer's block. So he goes back to his childhood home. But what he finds there is that he's able to visit his childhood home and see his parents who died from a car crash. But now he's the same age as his parents. So he's able to like have conversations with his parents. He's able to tell his parents that he's gay, tell them about this relationship he's sparking up with his neighbor who lives in the same apartment complex, played by Paul Maskell. I love what this movie is saying about grief and we have to move on in our relationships, in our life, reconciling maybe things that deep down are still affecting us. I honestly love this story, and this one really affected me when I saw it. Mm, that's awesome, dude. My number three movie, 
again, another movie? Oh, actually, no, Amir, you said you saw this, but I actually don't know if, Jeff, you saw this, but it is Court Jefferson's American Fiction. I think this is absolutely the funniest movie I saw this year, but I love that this movie is wearing whatever it's trying to say on its sleeve, right? It's super blunt, super obvious. It's not trying to hide anything, and that's partially the point. I think it's trying to hold up a mirror to today. The way it approaches that is through comedy, but then also it's underlined with this great story about this African-American family going through like a tragedy and going through some hard times. And it's about relationships. It's about, again, you know, accepting who you are, but then also realizing like the influences in our lives that make you the way you are. And I think it's one of the funniest movies I've seen all year, but then also I think it's super creative in the way it uses some of the mechanics. And I don't know if you agree, Amir, but like, I think there's a great scene where he's like actually writing out a scene. Yeah, that, that was that cool. Was that so was fun. cool. So great. That was fun. I think the ending is freaking hilarious in this movie. I feel like you made this movie sound very like universal. But it's a movie about how white people are racist. Like it's definitely, yes. like, like, it's definitely yes. like yes, a movie about race in America. Yes, and that's like the central thing. So like, Sorry, I just yes. don't want people to think. Maybe I'm that bearing this the lead. Like yes, necessarily gonna appeal to everybody. If you don't want to see a movie that's very mean to white liberals, like you probably can't see this movie. Thank you, Amir. Thank you for vocalizing that better than I did. No, I absolutely agree, though. And I don't want to turn anyone off of it because of that. But yes, Amir is absolutely correct. It is at its core about racism. So I don't know too much about this movie. But from what I've seen from like film festivals and stuff, it's about Jeffrey Wright's character. And he writes like a parody book, black book, yes. right? And then the white liberals eat it up when he's actually trying to make fun of the style of writing. Yes. Yeah. Is that what it yeah, is? Yeah. exactly it. That actually sounds really interesting. That sounds kind of funny. Actually. Dude, it's so good. It's also on my list. It's so Yeah, fun. <laughs> right. We have an overlap. <laughs> Finally. Yeah. Finally. Yes. You know, the beginning of the movie or the first 30 minutes in the movie, it's very normal, right? Like you kind of don't know where it's going. If you don't know the synopsis, right, you kind of don't know where it's going. But then there's definitely a mm. point where it turns and it just becomes – super hilarious and it really like just hammers home and, and wants to play with this idea that he has to now sell this book that way and it's, it's so good i love this movie so much moving on so my number two movie is justine Trey's anatomy of fall nice wow number two oh, a little overlap there too man i picked this one too this yeah is, this is a good all one. right i absolutely love this movie courtroom dramas are not my genre but this was definitely my shit. If I'm thinking about my list of like maybe favorite courtroom dramas, this is somewhere near the top of it now because the courtroom stuff in this is so good. I think Sandra Huller is just amazing in this. I know she's not going to win, but this would actually be my vote, right? Like I would love her to win Best Actress for this role. I think hands down, she was like my favorite female performance of the year. Yeah. I think the scene between the husband and her is just devastating and probably one of my favorite scenes of the whole year. If you haven't seen this movie, honestly, try to catch it in a theater. I think it's back in theaters now because it did get the Best Picture nom, so you're able to catch it again. My number two movie of the year. This is one of those where you know exactly what the Oscar clip is going to be. 
Mm. And for a good reason, because that scene is really fucking good. Even though it didn't make my list. I think the reason it didn't make my list is that a lot of people are talking about the ambiguity in two different ways, right? The side of the wife or the husband, and also whether she killed her husband or not, right? And I just didn't feel that at all. So I think the movie is really well written, and I really did enjoy the movie, but... I don't know. I kind of didn't get any of that ambiguity there. I don't know what people are arguing over. Mm-hmm. So it didn't hit me the way that other people are debating over this movie about. You know what I mean? Interesting thing is, I don't know if I love this movie because of that, though, right? Like, I. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. A wild look at the French judicial system. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then my number one movie, I think it should be no surprise to anybody. If anyone kind of knows me, one of my favorite filmmakers is Richard Linklater. One of my favorite film series of all time is the Before series. And this movie, at number one, I think is honestly like a spiritual successor to that. In so many ways, it reminds me of those movies. But yet it carves its way into my heart as something so different in many different ways too. And that is Celine Song's Past Lives. I just rewatched this movie last night with my wife, who had not seen it before. And honestly, it just bulldozed me all over again. And I said it in our review, right? This idea of the what if, right? And All of Us Strangers is very similar in that way. What if you could do it again? Or like, what if our paths didn't separate, right? And you know, we were together, we were in the same country, or, you know, I took the opportunity to come visit New York, or you took the opportunity to come visit South Korea. And this idea of Inyong, and I love that there's so many shots in this movie where you're just out of sight, right? And you're just maybe off the screen, or you're across the bar, you are behind the door of a subway, you're looking through the glass, right? Or you're peeking from across the street. It feels like you're being let into this very intimate relationship. And I felt like I shouldn't be watching this, but yet I couldn't look away. And this is clearly my favorite movie of this year. And I loved all the performances. I'm so sad that, you know, it has some Oscar nominations, but I do feel like in the end, it is kind of getting overlooked for some of the bigger categories. Yeah. It's a little bit of a letdown, but nonetheless, I love past lives i really like this movie too amir you just saw it right i just saw it recently yeah like this week and it was really good and i can see totally why it made your list i could see why it's your number one it didn't make my list as i said it was kind of in the honorable mentions but i agree with like everything you said it's just an incredibly original movie like i don't think i've seen a movie that explores like the heartbreak of a craigslist misconnection the way that this movie <laughs> does <laughs> You know, well, that's not fair. It's not a Craigslist misconnection. You I know, know what I mean. Yeah. yeah, yes. It's just original. There's an idea in medicine of a near miss. It's an error that you make that doesn't produce any kind of like negative outcome for the patient, but it's only like purely by chance. Like you kind of get lucky. And mm. I just thought about that when I saw this movie, like how potentially important near misses are. And this is like a near miss in the other direction. Mm-hmm. You can see how mm. painful. Interesting. Almost. Yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's just something about it. I was like, yeah, it's just super original. I think it's such an incredibly interesting movie. Not I'm yeah. talking about it, I'm like, damn, maybe this should have made my list. <laughs> Past Lives was really good. You're not wrong to put it at number one. This was a really good movie. Yeah, this was so close to making my list. It was pretty high up there, and then it kind of dropped to 
12 for me, so on my honorable mentions. But, you know, this movie about not only what ifs, but mourning the person that you used to be. Yes. Yeah. Someone mm-hmm. that you're not anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that's huge and uh, a big part of the movie. And I really, really did love this movie. I think it suffers a little bit on rewatch because it's so frictionless, right? And I think that's by design. Watching it again and knowing where it's going you do lose a little bit of the steam because everyone's so nice in this movie. Yeah. So there's a lot of tension in not knowing whether it's going to do the typical rom-com sort of thing. Yeah. Right? And when you realize, okay, they're not doing it, it's actually doing something a lot more mature and interesting than that. Yeah. You give the movie its props for that, but you're right. It can see how it does rob it of some of the tension. But, I mean, just to spoil the movie, like, it would be fully insane for her to do a rom-com thing and run away with, like, her childhood sweetheart and abandon her husband of 12 years or whatever, right? Like, Yeah, yeah that would suck, like, that's actually. Fully, <laughs> that's fully an insane thing to do. And like the movie realizes that it's insane. And it's also still heartbreaking that- They don't end up together. Yeah, yes. Right? Like, mm-hmm. And the movie yeah, yeah, totally yeah. gets that. It walks that tightrope very, very well, actually. I do agree with that. Man, maybe this should be in my top ten. <laughs> it's good, man. Like, I'm it thinking about the end good. where he's driving away in the Uber and she bursts into tears and her husband comes down and comforts her. Yeah. yeah. That whole sequence is just so good. Yeah, great pick, Derek. Like, I'm being convinced in real time. <laughs> <laughs> Amir's about to switch up his list. No, yeah, still time to change my list. <laughs> All right. That was my number one through ten. Who would like to go next? All right. So I have some interesting ones from... 10 to 7, maybe? So, 10 is a horror movie called Husera the Bone Woman. It is directed by Michelle Garza Cervera. This is my least favorite genre of horror done perfectly. Mm. Metaphor horror. Mm. (laughs) Mm. And I love this movie. It's scary as hell. It's about a first-time mother who is cursed by a sinister, otherworldly entity. And it's like a haunting movie. And there's this creeping dread. The sound design is phenomenal. It's talking about traditional gender roles as a prison. It doesn't beat you over the head with its messaging. And it is really, really creepy and really, really well done. You guys should check it out. It's on Shudder right now. So okay. I was going to ask that Yeah, question. one of the cheaper streaming services. You guys can check it out real quick. It's great. Really, really fun. I like a movie about the evils of feminism, so I'm going to check it out. <laughs> <laughs> My number nine is Cheng Er's Hidden Blade, which is a Chinese-language espionage thriller. This is basically espionage porn. You've got Tony Leung in it, and he looks fucking awesome in it. He's smoking all the time. He's backstabbing everyone. Every time some new person is revealed as a secret communist, you're like fist pumping in the air. It's really, really Byzantine and hard to decipher, but it all comes together. It's really fucking good. And someone actually mentioned on Twitter to me that this movie was butchered in post for the Chinese censors. So I can't even imagine like what this movie could actually be if it was left undisturbed. Mm. So I don't know. I really love this. It was really, really good. This meditation on spycraft and performance in Japanese-occupied China, and it's about like this underground espionage network looking to disrupt 
the Japanese forces. It's got one of the biggest and baddest brawls of the year between the two leads. It's really, really good. I do love a good brawl. Yeah, yeah. Great beat-em-up. Number eight is Verena Paravel and Lucien Casting Taylor's Dehumani Corpus Fabrica, which is more of like an experimental art film than a documentary. It's shot over several years, and it goes inside a bunch of French hospitals. And in those hospitals, it goes within the patients using, you know, imaging and microscopic cameras. It's basically a crazy tour of the human body. And watching this, it's so fascinating because you begin this movie just wincing at everything. And then by the end, all the gruesome viscera that you see has just become like desensitized to it. It's so trippy. It is really fascinating. Probably the best documentary I've seen this year. It's stunning, actually. Uh, you guys should definitely check this out. And I always wonder what Amir would think of this because he's in the profession, but I don't know. You preempted my joke there where I was going to say I've seen this movie already and it lasted four years and cost me $300,000. So <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the effect would be lessened on you, but <laughs> my number seven is Godzilla Minus One. Takashi Yamazaki's kaiju World War II movie, which we reviewed. I think we all enjoyed it. I don't know if it's on Amir, your list. I know it didn't make it made your list, list, Derek. It made your list. The story of this disgraced kamikaze pilot, his fight not just to survive, but to live, and then you throw Godzilla in the mix. It's really, really good. An anti-war movie in the truest sense really touching conclusion to this movie too. You get a bit of everything. You get the World War II, you get the family drama, the found family aspect of the movie, and you get kaiju destruction. And the movie looks fucking phenomenal. So lots of things to love about Godzilla Minus One. A late addition in the year, actually, because it kind of threw a wrench in my top 10. I was like, damn, I really like this movie. I gotta make room for it, you know? Yeah, right now it's out in re-release as like a black and white version i think i don't know how good that's gonna be i don't know how well this movie plays without any color color mm. it seems a little dude black and white gimmicky and kitschy like poor things did it maestro did it and they all sucked <laughs> dude leave the fucking color in dude fuck that i'm against this black and white artsy bullshit <laughs> i said it in our review still one of the coolest sequences is when he's revving up his atomic breath his spine is like yeah popping, popping out of his out back, his back. It's, yeah. really cool. it's one of the coolest sequences this year loved it loved it yeah i wish my theatrical experience was better but it was the one where the guy was yelling about godzilla the whole time he's <laughs> <laughs> like atomic breath you know? like, oh. <laughs> all right dude take it down a notch no need the peanut gallery my number six is todd haynes may december Fully snubbed by the Academy. I mean, except for screenplay. I think uh, all the voters are mad because fucking Todd Haynes took them out into the back alley and shot everyone in the head in the <laughs> industry, right? Just take an aim at feckless entertainers and people who take advantage and the whole industry. This is one of my favorite movies of the year. It's so good. This juggling of tones in this. Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore's performances are really good, but... Man, it's Charles Melton who fucking runs away with this movie as this damaged boy 
stuck in time with this history of abuse in this relationship. Oh, man, it's funny. It's sad. It's devastating. I mean, we talked about this movie in our episode. Is it on your list, Amir? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't make your list, Derek. But it was actually on my list for a while. And you had to make room. I had to make room. But, you know, the more time went by, I didn't think about this movie as much. Mm. Okay, that's fair. And Amir, you could say it again. You guys influenced me. But it was said during our review that it felt a lot like Tar, right? With its ending and some of its themes. And ultimately, like, I love Tar. I like Tar so much more. And I started thinking, well, maybe it's a mistake to have to, like, compare them in that way. But I think that did partially affect my thinking of this movie, too. Interesting. That's an interesting question, actually. May, December, or Tar? I think I prefer Tar, too. I think Tar is probably better. Mm. Blanchett is just like insane in that movie. Mm-hmm. She's so good. But I think May December is the easier watch. It is, yeah. Mm. You know, Tar's long. It is. Yeah, Tar is long. Like I feel like May December is kind of an easy watch. Like as much as it's a great devastating film, it also is just like a trashy fun thing to watch too, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I won't say a breezy watch. It moves in a way that Tar doesn't. All right, number five, Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. What else is there to say about this? Derek, you repped the other half of Barbenheimer. <laughs> I'm repping the Oppenheimer side of things. My guess is both of you guys will be repping this side, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's my guess. Combining Christopher Nolan's penchant for spectacle and telling this story about J. Robert Oppenheimer with theory versus practice and creation versus destruction for a three-hour movie about talking heads and one big explosion. It's so fucking good. I actually think this is my favorite Christopher Nolan movie. I know, Amir, you weren't here for our Oppenheimer episode, but I mean, is this on your list? Yeah, this is on my list, and I think I agree with you. I think it's his best movie. Not exactly what you said, but I think it's his best movie. Again, if anyone knows me, <laughs> big Christopher Nolan fan. Like, I love Christopher Nolan. Probably one of my favorite working directors right now. And it surprises me that this isn't on my top 10, right? This isn't one of my favorites of the year. And I don't want to rehash what I said on the podcast. You know, a lot of it is, I think, the first maybe two thirds of this movie or the first half that wasn't my favorite. I love the second half, right? Or, you know, when it gets into that congressional hearing mode of the movie, I could see a world where if you focus more on that, this would absolutely be near the top of my list, right? That's so interesting because most people who don't like this movie don't like the congressional hearing part, which I do agree is a better half of the movie. Really? I don't know if I think that's the better half of the movie. I don't know. I think when it's all coming together, there's something about it that goes deeper than the surface level pleasures of maybe like the first third or so. I mean, you know, getting the gang together and building the bomb, that's pretty fun. Mm -hmm. It is fun, but isn't that all two thirds of the movie though, isn't it? I feel like the courtroom stuff is only like the last third Yeah, the first third. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it all works for me, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, I've got it at number five on my list. And speaking of theater experiences... The bomb going off. Can't even uh, describe the silence that was in my theater the first time I saw it, right? Just everyone watching in awe, waiting for the sound from the bomb to hit. Just like the people in the movie, right? That's fucking cool. Number four, Killers of the Flower Moon. 
Martin Scorsese's late style masterwork that I really, really liked. Three and a half hours, super long too, but the performances are incredible. Leonardo DiCaprio, pretty much unsung by the Academy, but I think it's a good performance by him. I think he plays a dipshit pretty well. You don't really see him in that mode that often. Robert De Niro as maybe the most evil fucking person to ever live in this. He's so fucking nasty in this. And it's Lily Gladstone that just steals this thing away. She's so, so good. I think this is probably hers to win for the Academy Award. But I love the way that they built this movie out the Oklahoma setting and, you know, this portrait of American greed and cruelty. I love the ending, the self-insert by Martin Scorsese himself. I really, really liked how all of this came together. Definitely in line with his late style stuff. Silence, The Irishman, now Killers of the Flower Moon. Really love all of it. And this is a great capstone to all those movies. Not on your list, Eric? No, I think a lot of my issues do stem from like, not really what is in the movie. A lot of my issues with this movie just stem from how some uh, of this is portrayed and who is portraying it, right? It has nothing to do with Martin Scorsese made a terrible movie. Like, I think this movie's great. Amazing acting, great scenes, great cinematography, devastating stuff, right? Just tragic. Some of the things on display in this movie. I think Leo's throughout his career has kind of been like automatic. Oh, you always think that he's going to be one of the best actors in contention. And when he wasn't recognized this year, like, you know, I, I thought automatically like, oh, this is actually one performance that he actually did deserve recognition, right? Like, I think he is great in this. Yeah. So I was a little disappointed that he wasn't nominated. But I mean, it's, it's also a, a good showing this year when it comes to like nom- um, nominees for best actors. So it's kind of hard to um, argue with that. Amir, is this on your list anywhere? Uh, Yes, yes, definitely on my list. Another thing that impressed me about this was that Leo didn't complain about not being nominated. Mm-hmm. He just put everything behind Lily Gladstone. Yeah, absolutely. Fucking stand-up dude. Love that about him. It was really good. He's just been standing by Lily Gladstone this entire press store and just really being quiet and rightfully giving her the spotlight, you know? I really like that about him. All right, number three, Michael Mann's Ferrari. Love this movie. Love everything about Adam Driver's imperfect Italian accent. (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot of people bristle against this movie. They don't know what to make of it. But I love all the jagged pieces of this movie, the different sides of Enzo Ferrari never reconciling with each other. You know, there's just so much like texture and human feeling in this movie that I really, really admire. And again, like I said in the episode, I think selling this movie as a racing movie does it a disservice, but as not even a biopic, but a movie about a man and the different sides of a man, I think this is phenomenal. I really, really liked it. And I'm bummed that... Penelope Cruz didn't get a nomination. I'm okay with Adam Driver not getting a nomination yeah. on this. I mean, he's good. He's really good. But I think Penelope Cruz is like the performance in this movie. And I think she deserved a slot over a bunch of the other supporting actress nominees this year. Was this on your list, Amir? Uh, yes, it did make my list. 
Oh, it did make your list. Yeah. <laughs> I will say that still one of the fucking gnarliest crashes. Car crashes, yeah. Ever. Gasped out loud in the theater. Yep, Jesus. Me too. Have you guys seen Society of Snow yet? No. I have. So, I have. you know, the plane crash in that movie, right? Sorry to spoil anything. A plane crashes in that movie. And uh, <laughs> Thanks. that scene is pretty gnarly too, but instantly I was like, nah, Ferrari still beats it, right? Like a Ferrari does is still not just hold yeah. a candle. Does not hold a yeah, candle. Yeah, if you've seen yeah. Society of Stone, you think that's bad. Ferrari makes it look like child's play a little bit, right? Yeah. I don't think I had a moment this year that just left my mouth wide open, jaw on the floor more than that scene in Ferrari. All right, number two. This is going to be a weird one for us because I don't think, Amir, you've seen it. You've seen it, Derek, right? Yes. Number two is Jonathan Glazer's The Zone of Interest. And I had this as my number one for the longest time. Wow. I saw this in Toronto and I was blown away. Or I was frozen still. I don't know what to fucking say. I just sat there and like this movie just washed over me and completely devastating stuff. The rigor and the restraint from Glazer in this is absolutely incredible. I don't want to give anything away because I think from the Oscar buzz, it is opening wider. So mm -hmm. I think, Amir, you might have a chance to see this pretty soon. I hope so, because you've been talking about this movie forever. Yeah, and I hope that if it does open where Amir could watch it, I would love to do a full episode of it because... Yeah. Clearly, like, you know, it's not on my list and it is on yours. Like, I will say that I don't think it affected me the same way it affected you, Jeff. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, I think the best way maybe I could put it is that for me, it was very much like a vibe movie, right? There's not really much that happens in this movie per se, but there's mm -hmm. just like a feeling, right? There's just this emotion that maybe took over you that I don't know if it took over me. And I think that interestingly enough this was kind of almost like this art piece oh absolutely yeah and in a way it kind of reminds me of like skin of a ring maybe skin of a ring <laughs> maybe like the far spectrum of that but i couldn't help but think i'm just not vibing with this movie right i'm not on the wavelength of this movie there are things i do really like about this and this is one i actually brought deborah with to watch it with me and oh man we both watched it and we both came out and we're like we have no idea what to think at the moment like we were kind of talking it through and we were like, what was that movie? Yes, I would love to do a deeper dive, you know, if Amir, one day you get to watch it and we get to just get into this movie. I mean, this movie is all about what's not being shown. Absolutely. Right? Mm -hmm. And I think you're getting at something there with the comparison to Skinnamarink because I think these two movies are maybe the only ones on my top 20 list where you can actually put them in a museum and have it be like a work of art, mm -hmm. right? And, Interesting. I mean, obviously, Skinnamarink is a goofy horror movie, which I happen to really, really like. And The Zone of Interest is one of the most devastating movies about the Holocaust I've ever seen. So you can't really compare them in that oh, regard, yeah, absolutely but not. I understand that they're kind of art pieces, right? Yeah. And Jonathan Glazer is just so dialed in here. I want to say he's probably one of my favorite filmmakers. He's so fucking good. He's four for four. All of his movies are amazing. You know, Sexy Beast, Birth, Under the Skin, and now this. And there are some things that he's doing here that are just incredible. 
and really terrifying stuff here too. It's so restrained that you don't even realize some of the things are happening. And when you do, it hits you like a Mack truck, like some of the scenes in this movie. I don't want to give anything away, but like the river scene, the scene in the forest, and then just the sounds in this movie. Because you can't see, but you can hear, you know? Yeah, if you can watch this in a theater with good sound, I think that will really enhance your experience, right? Because I think a lot of people have really been talking about the sound design of this movie. Yeah. Really layering this movie at at a different level than most other movies, right? And you're getting at something here where there's no traditional narrative to the movie, but the best pieces in a museum, it's a work of anthropology, I think, Mm -hmm. here. So calling it like a drama, I don't think it would be right to say that. But man, this really hit me. Jeff has one art piece in his stats. (laughs) (laughs) One art piece, yeah. But I'm excited to do an episode on this because I really want to talk about this movie. I really want to mirror you to watch this. It's really something. I've been hoping that the award buzz is going to bring it uh, here. Uh, Sort of the same way I think Poor Things did. Yeah, I think that's what happened. Poor Things eventually came out here. I was thinking I was never going to be able to see it. So. Yeah, I'm hoping the same thing happens to Zone of Interest because I'm really excited to see it now. All right, Jeff, what's your number one? My number one is David Fincher's The Killer. I'm so glad you put it on your list, Derek, as number 10. I fucking love this movie. You know, people mistake it for a minor work, but I don't really agree with that. I think it's every bit as incisive as Fincher's best stuff. You know, Zodiac, The Social Network, Fight Club, saying a lot about himself, saying a lot about the gig economy. Michael Fassbender's great in this. So I was just on the King cast, which is a Stephen King podcast. Mm -hmm. And they were asking me about why I chose this movie as my number one. And uh, one of the co-hosts, he was saying that he has repurposed the first half hour of this movie as a sleep aid. (laughs) Wow. But he said it not as a knock on the movie, but... Just the rhythm of the first 30 minutes Mm. of the movie and, like, you know, Michael Fassbender's droning voiceover and the way he prepares for the hit, which he fucks up, by the way. Yep. He says it's perfect for him to fall asleep in. It's really, really funny, actually. (laughs) Again, not as a knock on the movie. (laughs) Honestly, like, there's some movies that I love that I've watched so much that I know and then I can easily fall asleep to them. In a different way, that could be the highest compliment, right? Yeah. I mean, this movie is like a commentary on our decaying capitalist society, how it's not really cool to be this kind of assassin anymore when you got to squat out of Airbnbs and WeWorks and rental cars and stuff. But this movie also gives you the dopamine hits. It's a good action thriller, a good revenge bit. It's really, really good. I really like this. And David Fincher's on top of his game. The movie looks incredible. It sounds incredible. I wish it played in theaters for longer. Being on Netflix, it kind of sucks. You get that compression and the sound's not as good, but what can you do, right? Did this make your list, Amir? No, it didn't. I kind of want to rewatch it. I saw this on like, this was Netflix, right? I saw this on like Netflix and I was like watching it on like a computer screen that wasn't even 4K. And so like, I kind of want to rewatch this on a bigger screen and give it another shot because, I mean, yeah. I did like it, but it just it wasn't top 10. But I think it might improve on a rewatch if the viewing materials are better. All right. Amir, you want to hit your top 10? Let's go. Okay. All right. I'm up next. Okay. So number 10 is kind of a weird one because I wasn't expecting to put this in my top 10. I was thinking about like, what am I putting on my list? 
I kind of wanted to do like one of the weirder movies I'd seen this year and kind of give a head nod mm. to one of those. And I thought about Poor Things. I thought about Infinity Pool. Ooh, Infinity Pool. I, I thought about <laughs> Infinity Pool, but in the end, I actually went with Bo is Afraid. Oh, yeah. oh so okay. none of us loved this movie. We all had our issues with it. And I still do have my issues with it. But you're talking about how funny American fiction is. The first 30 minutes of this movie are so uproariously funny and evil. It's so good. That, like, I just I was thinking about it. I was like, man, I can't get that shit out of my head. You know, and it was pretty early in the year, so it was easy to forget. But I was looking over the course of the movies I saw this year, and I was like, man. This one hit a spot. It's not like a home run, but he's swung for the fences with this. And yeah, it's just like his paranoia makes where he's living Gotham City, right? It's just he's living in Arkham Asylum. Yeah. Like everyone in his city is like a hooting psychotic freak. And it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> his run home is outrageous. Dude, it's it's so good. It's, it's so, so good. good. I wish the rest of the movie kept up with that, but I respect it. He gets stabbed by the birthday boy stab yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What a name. But Was Afraid is like a movie that I think is, I don't know, I just like, it kind of earned this slot. It has highs and lows. It was a mixed experience overall, but the highs were so high. I was like, I got to give this movie the nod. All right. Parker Posey dying is Dude, (laughs) incredible. And so like, here's the thing about Poor Things, which is probably like a better movie overall on average, if you average it out. The Mm -hmm. highs, I think, in Poor Things aren't as high, right? Mm. Like, I don't think it ever has anything as weird or as funny as those moments we're talking about in Bo's Afraid, even if some of the other parts of that movie are, like, less watchable yeah. than most of Poor Things, which moves at a pretty good clip. Yeah, One of my yeah. complaints about Poor Things, which I like, was that it just wasn't weird enough. You know, it, did, mm. it didn't feel like it was really swinging for the fences. And, and Bo's Afraid totally did. So I think yeah. that's why that gets the nod. Fair, fair, fair. fair. No. Good pick. Uh, so number nine for me is, uh, I think also, I think it was on your honorable mentions, Jeff. I don't think you mentioned this one, Derek. John Wick 4. Yeah. I think probably the best action movie of the year. This is another one where I had to go back through the movies I saw this year and really think about the beginning of the year and go, yeah. This was fucking good. As long as they stick to their guns and keep him dead, this earns his spot. If they go back on it, as Derek has been saying, I'm retroactively removing this shit. Fuck that. (laughs) The zone of interest will take this slide. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I would be mad too. I agree. I mean, but that hotline Miami incendiary shotgun shit is just – And then like that soccer core climb. There's some incredible action in this. I know people are kind of like, oh, tired of John Wick and there's squibs and there's this and that. Fuck that. John Wick still rules. This is, again, another movie where, like, I had problems with it, but the heights of the action sequences are so high. Uh, I mean, I, yeah. I, this has got to get a dot in my top ten, too. Some of these fights are stuff you've never seen before. It's incredible. Yeah. Not to rehash the point again, but I think this is such a perfect send-off for the character that I will be so disappointed if they walk it back. Because it is pitch-perfect send-off for Keanu Reeves and this character in this franchise. So, and I was gonna say, I know I didn't mention it in my honorable mentions, and maybe I forgot, but this was actually on my list for a while. This was like probably in my number ten slot for a long time, but then you know, pretty recently got pushed off. So I too love love this movie. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you say that, Derek. I think you were a little critical of it when we talked about it at first. I was critical, but all those scenes still yeah. amazing, yeah. right? Still like, hit. It's got some of the best John Wick has done, right? Absolutely. I mean, this barely missed. That was my 11, so. Right, yeah. It's right there. It's right there. So for me then, number eight, Crete 3. Oh. Crete 3. Ooh. Yeah. So 
in part, it's getting a little bit of a boost because Creed 3 made me go back and rewatch Creed 1, which is just like so good. <laughs> <laughs> but Creed 3 was really, really good. I thought for like a directorial debut, uh, Michael B. Jordan knocked it out of the park. Yeah. I think like he's doing some really cool stylistic stuff with his directing, which you don't expect from like someone just starting out. I think he does a great job as like the star and the director both. I think that you get a really nuanced villain out of Dame Anderson. Yeah. You know what? Fuck it. I'm going to say it. Jonathan Majors is fucking good in this movie. Yes, he is. He is, right? You (laughs) You know what I mean? You don't have to endorse his personal decisions to say he was good in this movie. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. uh, Like, not endorsing his personal life decisions, but he's good in this fucking movie. He really is. And Tessa Thompson is good, and Felicia Rashad is good, and you're only missing Sylvester Stallone, really. Oh, and I'm sorry, I forgot the name of the actress who plays his daughter. Mila Davis-Kent. Thank you. Excellent. Yeah. She's Amara, Adonis yeah, Creed's Amara. daughter. And she's actually a deaf actress, right? Playing a deaf character. So that was really cool, too. Creed Theater's good. Uh, I think it might be the second best Creed movie. Like, Creed 1's clearly head and shoulders above. But then I think 3 is probably a little better than 2. I don't mm. know. It depends on the day. But 3's good. I really enjoyed this one. I think this gets the nod. And of course, it made me go back and rewatch Creed 1. And so that's three points there. Victor Drago comes back, you know, yeah. good stuff. Yeah. There's a lot of good stuff in there. A lot of good stuff. I think the tension in the fights are a little slack. Yes, like, yes. In the other two, you're like, oh, you don't know who's going to win, but this one's pretty clear cut, I think, from the very beginning. But fights are really good. Yes. I love the anime-inspired stuff. The fucking cage that comes down, so good. Yeah, yeah. This one whips. I think for me, the one thing I, I did miss was Sly. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I think... The movie does suffer a little bit from it, both one and in two. Their dynamic together, the way they play off each other, like their story is so good that it is something that I severely missed in this third installment. I agree. It's like a behind the scenes decision that kind of masquerades as a creative decision, right? Yeah. It's because of the disagreement between Sylvester Stallone and one of the executives behind the movie. But in the end, creatively, you can see it as uh, Michael B. Jordan and the Creed character having to stand on their own too without Rocky's support, right? And so- I think they still make it work. But I agree with you. It's definitely a big loss. I, I did miss Sylvester Stallone in this movie. Number seven is one that was on your list, Chef. This is Ferrari. Ferrari. Yeah. I think Justice for Penelope Cruz, I think best Italian biopic role that Adam Driver has played in the last couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> I think Goofy accent and all. Honestly, I think this made my list because of that insane crash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the crash did it. Like, it was a great movie theater experience, too. I went with family and stuff, and it was a lot of fun. But that crash is just – we said it earlier. It's literal, like, audible gasp in the theater shit. It's insane. Mm-hmm. You really, really fucking feel that one in your guts. Like, that crash is just unbelievable. The rest of the movie is really good, too, but that crash is just like, wow. You said it earlier, Derek. Like, movies you can't stop thinking about, movies you keep thinking about afterwards, like – yeah, that crash did it for me. Ferrari's great. I mean, the whole thing is great. There's great performance from everybody. But man, that crash is just sherry on top of the cake. I keep thinking about the church scene, too. Where I was going to bring that up right now, too. Yeah. yeah. All the people bring the stopwatches into church. Fucking racing's a religion. Yep. Oh, so good. And then the opera scene where everyone has their own little Memories. vision. Yeah, oh, yeah, so, yeah, good. Yeah. so good. So yeah. good. Keep it moving. Number six for me was also another one that I think Jeff and I shared and Derek and I did not. This was Godzilla minus one. Yeah, big boy Godzilla. This was a shocker to me because I wasn't expecting to love this. Like I liked the Godzilla movies as a kid. I saw Shin Godzilla and like didn't love it as much as everybody else did. I get why people like it. Mm-hmm. I didn't like absolutely love it. So I was kind of just going into this one like, yeah, whatever. 
And this one blew me away. Godzilla Minus One is like such a great film, such a great anti-war film, such a great period slash kaiju piece, and such a great touching film about family and love and the importance of like doing your duty and living life. And it's just – it's a great movie and it's like shockingly human for like a Godzilla movie, right? Yeah. I mean it it was emotional, right? Like this is a movie that makes you tear up, man. And I was like, man. If a movie can make you feel that, it's got to belong in this top 10, you know? So yeah, yeah, I, I just absolutely. thought about how emotional this movie made me when I was watching it. I was like, shit, this movie touched something in me. And so, yeah, I, it had to get a space for me. It just... It just hits in a way that the American ones don't right now. Like, it gets the human characters right. Everything about this movie hits. And even Shin Godzilla didn't either, right? This really hits a particular place for me. So shout out to someone that I don't talk about too much on this podcast but shout out to my brother oh this is absolutely his number one movie of the year he loves he loves <laughs> this movie last i heard he saw it three times in the theaters <laughs> Damn. that rules dude he Good for him. says you know when we talked over holidays he's like have you seen godzilla minus one i'm like yes i've seen godzilla minus one he's like i, <laughs> I love it seen it three times i'm like you're crazy but you know i was so happy that he loves it so much honestly i'm dying to see it again in black and white? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we talked no, about color, man. Yeah, yeah, let's, we, we talked about black and white, man. Come on. I wouldn't be surprised if my brother went back to watch it in black and white, just so he could watch it one more time, you know? Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> All right, what was your number five? Okay, so yeah, we'll get into the back half. Number five was one that you and I just shared, Derek. Yeah. Um, that Jeff's racism prevented from putting on the list. This is American Fiction. Well, I haven't seen it, so I do want to see it. You didn't see it because of your racism. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> American Fiction's as mean a movie to white liberals as there's ever been since Get Out. Like, it's just brutal. Mm. And it's very, 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 very funny. And Jeffrey Wright is great in this, first of all. All the supporting cast is excellent. You have Tracy Ellis Ross, John Ortiz, Eric Alexander. Adam Brody is very funny in this. Issa Rae is in this. Sterling yeah. K. Brown is very funny in this, too. Everybody's great in this. And it also does a good job of portraying like a segment of black society you don't always see, which is like the upper middle class, yes. educated black society. Like this is mm. like a Cosby show or whatever. It's not precious, right? So <laughs> that's interesting too. I think that's cool that you're seeing this segment of black American society that you don't always see. I really, really liked American Fiction. I thought it was incredibly funny. There was some cool meta stuff in this movie. Mm-hmm. So I just really, really enjoyed this one. This one snuck in at the end. I saw this in the last week and I just really, really liked it. This was just so, so funny. There's like a strong narrative about, quote unquote, the blackness of things in this movie. But if you were to strip race and color out of this story, the dynamic between the characters, the dynamic between the family, it all is devoid of that, right? There is nothing about these characters, I feel like, I don't know if you agree, Amir, but like trying to portray that has to do with their blackness. You know, it's a lot about what our fathers and our mothers do to us. Sterling K. Brown's character is like, Gay has nothing to do with the fact that he's black and gay. It's just the fact that he's gay. And Jeffrey Wright's character is a writer who's going through his struggles. You know, the sister is a doctor who's going through her own struggles of divorce. And it never tries to conflate it with their race. The only thing that really is about the race is this book that he's trying to write that he feels like he has to be more, quote, unquote, black. I know what you're saying. I get what you're talking about. It is a movie that's universal and these are universally appealing characters. Mm Mm-hmm have a lot of facets to them, and they're not just their race. Yeah. I think I agree with you on that. I'm not sure I do. But yeah, I'm like 90% of the way with you on that. (laughs) I just really enjoyed this one. It's a lot of fun. 
So people are mad that Sterling K. Brown got a nomination for this. Is he good in this? Because I haven't seen it. So he's pretty good. I think he's great. I'm not sure he's nomination worthy. I have to look at the mm. list again and see if I think he's like egregiously. I mean, it's like, supporting an actor, right? I know, I know. Yeah, but I would have to look at the list too. Like, I get you potentially could replace him with a Charles Melton, right? Like, I think Charles Melton's great. It made yeah, December. Charles Melton's real good. I particularly love Sterling K. Brown in this. I think he he's very funny. He's mm. he's very funny, but the, he also gets a very emotional moment. There's such tragic things about his character in this movie so like i don't know if i would outright take it away from him but you know there is an argument that if you wanted to slip charles melton yeah i guess you could so it's robert down jr for oppenheimer ryan gosling for barbie mark ruffalo for poor things sterling k brown american fiction robert de niro killers of the flower moon those are some rough customers man those are like what i mean really good performances right i think sterling k brown is probably in there with mark ruffalo but I think De Niro eh, – maybe even Downey Jr. too. I liked him. I think Ryan Gosling and De Niro are probably the standouts in that category for me. In terms of how much they do for the movie. It's Robert really? Downey Jr. for me. <laughs> it's Ryan Gosling for me. Oh, I was going to say I and like Ryan Gosling. Gosling and De Niro, yeah, for me are the, are the two. Oh, the standouts. Oh, standouts. Yeah, 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 the standouts. I think Ryan Gosling can go. Oh, <laughs> really? You didn't think he was good in Barbie? <laughs> He's good, but he could do that shit in his sleep. I see. Interesting. I thought he nailed what he was trying to do there. Yeah. If anything, I think he's better than Margot Robbie. No, I think Margot Robbie brings more texture to that than Ryan Gosling. I think they're both good. All right. All right. Fair enough. All right. All right. Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> okay. But yeah, Sterling Brown is good. I think he can hang with that group, even though it's a tough group. I think he can hang with that. I don't think it's like egregious that he's in there. Okay. So anyway, American Fiction is really good. You guys should go see that. It's funny. Yeah. So number four, I think we share on our list too. This is Justine Triette's Anatomy of a Fall. Yeah. Um, this was just such great acting from Sandra Huller. This is another one of those where you're like, did you keep thinking about this movie as the year goes on? And this was in that category for me. We've kind of already talked about it a little bit. I don't want to belabor it. But like you were talking about liking the courtroom back half of Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> this is another movie with some great courtroom stuff. Yeah, all the courtroom stuff in this is incredible. It's not like – yeah what you think of when you think of like a legal thriller or whatever. It's just, it's really, really good. As you've already said, Jeff, like the Oscar reel, we already know what it is. It's that fight scene between uh, she and her husband. And uh, yeah, it's incredible. I mean, Anatomy of Fall, totally worth seeing. Like, yes, mix of French and English. Yes. Shout out to Bong Joon-ho. You have to get over the one inch barrier of subtitles. But once you do, um, this is one of the best movies of the year. So yeah, definitely go see this one. I always say the husband fucking sucks. And some people look at me like I'm crazy. I'm not crazy, right? He fucking sucks. There's no Wait, like ambiguity to that. You don't right? think he's a good? Oh, you're not talking about the performance. Okay, you're talking about like no, the no, no, guy no, no. in the movie, the person. Yeah yeah, 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 the person in the movie. It's like, oh, you could like see things from his side too. It's like, no, he sucks. Ashley and I watched it her for the first time, and she's like, dude, this guy sucks. He sucks <laughs> ass. Um, it's like worst husband ever. I could see it from his perspective, but he does suck. Like, I agree he sucks. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not like 100% on her side or something like that. Like, she shouldn't have killed him. <laughs> oh, okay. You believe okay, that. I'm kidding. Oh, okay. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> that's one of the things that kind of rubs its spot for me where, you know, the husband sucks so bad that I don't even care if she's guilty. <laughs> 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 I'm yeah. on the side that I think they both just suck. What's that Reddit? Everybody sucks here. What is, what's the Reddit? Uh, oh, I'm, am I the asshole or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. AITA, yeah. This one's an everyone sucks here. Thank you, Derek. That's a perfect way to think about it. 
Number three. So this is the Todd Haynes. This is May, December. Yeah. I really, really liked this. I thought it was just some devastating performances. I think Natalie Portman is a good actress pretending to be a bad actress. She does a very good job. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I think that unfair to just say she's bad. She's good pretending to be bad, very convincing. And I think Charles Melton's just incredible, just really, really tragic shit. And yeah, who thought sex with Natalie Portman could be so bad? <laughs> you know, you're a millennial, you grew up thinking Natalie Portman's the hottest shit on earth, and yeah, this guy just has the worst <laughs> Natalie Portman sex experience possible. She's just so evil, like such an evil fucking thing to do. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Yeah. yeah. It's one of the evilest things in movies this year. We'll get to the eviler stuff, that's still coming, but she is like grade A fucking villain too. She's so bad. I haven't even fucking touched Oh, fucking evil Julianne Moore's Gracie is. Yeah. Yeah. She's yeah. just like, yeah, just really, really, really fucked up shit, man. Two different breeds of evil. Yes, completely. Completely. Natalie Portman's evil culminates to what is a hilariously a Hallmark movie or whatever, right? It's like this made-for-TV movie. Yeah, she does all that just to so funny. star in like the shittiest movie you've ever seen. It's crazy. <laughs> so funny. So <laughs> It's funny. crazy. You do like this scumbag shit just for that. Ugh. Disgusting. What a great punchline. Yeah. 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 Very tall. Dude, I'm telling you, the Academy hates that shit. They're like, I don't like you portraying us in this light, you know? (laughs) Good for Todd Haynes. This is fucking great. Yeah. May, December is great. Okay. That's three. So, number two for me was what we are agreeing is Christopher Nolan's best film. This is Oppenheimer. (laughs) I just think he knocks it out of the park with this. I don't know. He's always accused of being like cold and remote or whatever. But like he manages to connect the through lines of like the importance of the bomb and the bigness of the movie. It, it, it all works here. He's just firing mm-hmm. on all fucking cylinders. This one's really, really great. And you get to see the monumental achievement and monumental crime of the atomic bomb. And it's just – this one's really, really good. Just visually, everything about this is great. Murderers Row cast. Yeah, Oppenheimer's just – one of the movies that I'm just thinking about movies I saw this year, this one pops up towards the top of the list, just in terms of like your consciousness. What about movies I saw this year? Oh, yeah, Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. It just keeps coming up because you can't stop thinking about this one. I know you picked Barbie, Derek, but I think it's Oppenheimer <laughs> all the way. Oppenheimer all the way for me. Well, I mean, as a whole, we represent on this, uh, on yeah, this podcast. You got the whole Barbenheimer thing covered. Barbie has the Chevy commercial. Oppenheimer has the suit up scene. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you already mentioned it, Amir. Does the black and white bother you in this movie? Not as much, no. I think I started getting tired towards the end of the year where every fucking film was doing it. But I think when I saw Oppenheimer, I hadn't seen enough of it this year to bug me. Maybe if mm-hmm. I go rewatch it, it'll annoy me. But it, it didn't annoy me at the time. All right, Amir, what is your number one? Best of the year. This is not the killer. It is the killers of the flower. <laughs> this is Martin Scorsese's <laughs> three and a half hour epic bout. Robert De Niro's incredible evil and his incredibly dumb accomplice in uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. So I just thought this movie, I don't know, it's like uniquely American. It's uniquely Scorsese. I understand people have problems with like, I don't know, his point of view and should he have been the one to tell this story, but he's telling his version of this story. I don't know, like if he didn't do it, Probably no one was gonna. I don't think he's like crowning out Osage filmmakers or something by doing this, right? He's telling this story and like getting it told in a way that it wouldn't have gotten told like this otherwise, right? It wouldn't be 
one of the biggest movies on the planet if Martin Scorsese wasn't behind it. I understand why some people have problems with it. But for me, none of that shit washes. I think this movie rules. It just does such a great job of tying together the initial American sin of Native American genocide with like anti-blackness and there's so much history in this and performances are just great all around. Again, Lily Gladstone, I think is, I know you like Sandra Hewler, but I think Lily Gladstone for me, clear lead for uh, best actress. Yeah. Like she's just justifiably in the lead. I think she's incredible. And of course, Leo and De Niro are incredible too. I think this is the best case scenario for a white guy telling the story, right? You know, with a self-insert and actually grappling with the guilt of that depiction, you know? I don't know if anyone's doing it like Marty. You know? Nope. It's just so good. Yeah, let's hope Elon figures out this Neuralink shit so we can, like, I don't know, put Marty's brain in a robot or something. <laughs> Have him for a few more years. <laughs> that dude's definitely being euthanized, by the way. Just like the monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. People are saying that that announcement is like the voice clip you see in like a sci-fi horror game or something. I don't know how he got the approval to <laughs> do that shit to a human. That shit's crazy. All right. I mean, we're going long on this episode like yeah. we usually do. Always. But on the movies that I know, Amir, you went through a spree of movie watching the last week or two just to prep for this episode. Any other award season movies and yeah. movies that people are talking about that you watch that yeah, clearly so. didn't make the list. Not even honorable mentions. Well, <laughs> talked about Past Lives, almost made the list. Which past Lives is incredible. Yeah. I thought it was really good. Like, Dark put it in a one and I can't argue with it. Like, Past Lives is great. American Fiction made my list and I just saw that recently. Maestro was... Not good. <laughs> yeah, it was not good. I don't I don't dislike it as much as you did, but I was kind of disappointed. I don't, like, hate it, hate it. It's just... As a Leonard Bernstein fan, it did not sell me on his genius. And like we said before, I think Tar in one line does more to sell his genius than this whole movie does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Carrie Mulligan is good. The Snoopy scene is innocent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I will give it that the Snoopy scene is probably one of the biggest laughs I had in the theater this year. Where they're just arguing in the... Thanksgiving Day Parade Snoopy floats by the window. <laughs> it's peak comedy. I really did like that. But didn't hit for me overall. Sorry. Bradley Cooper. Yeah. I watched Society of the Snow really recently. I really like that movie, but I don't think it was yeah. going to push into my top 10. But I do think it's a very good movie and worth a watch. Yeah. I think those kinds of movies have a ceiling to it mm -hmm. where I just... They don't make the list. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think if we had more time or if we have nothing else to talk about, like I think Society of the Snow would be an interesting one to talk about just because I think some mm. of the narrative choices that Jay Biona does with that, but then also like there are some pretty gnarly harrowing scenes in that too. And yeah, yeah. What they do to like portray the weight loss of the actors is crazy. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot in that movie that can be appreciated. One movie that I do want to spotlight that I don't think, again, not close to making my top 10, but I did actually enjoy was The Iron Claw. And mm. I did think that Zac Efron should have maybe actually been considered for best actor. I think he's pretty damn good in that movie. Wow. Um, yeah. yeah, I think he really stands out in that movie and maybe was a little overlooked when it came time for the Academy. I think it's kind of funny that they deleted a whole brother <laughs> yeah. in this movie. So fucking weird. Yeah. Because they're like, oh, it's too sad. But that's like what actually Wait, happened in what? real life. Yeah. So like the movie deletes an entire brother because he died too. And then they thought it would be too sad to include that as well. When that's like what actually happened, it's kind of weird that yeah. they did that. It is really weird. Yeah. 
Saltburn? Anyone? I've seen it. No. I actually haven't yet. I've given that a miss. It was not going to make my top 10, but... Yeah, maybe my bottom 10. (laughs) Stinky. I don't think I hated it as much as you, Jeff, but yeah, no. Interestingly enough, I only watched it because people around my office were like, have you seen Saltburn? Have you seen Saltburn? Exactly. I I made that point in my review. Yeah. People watch this shit in clips on TikTok and they're like, look at this crazy ass movie and people go see it. And that's exactly what I said. Nothing in this movie is nearly as crazy as the tamest thing in like Bo is Afraid. (laughs) You know what Mm, I mean? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Which is actual swings and actual risks taken by a filmmaker that I like. And Saltburn is not it. Sorry. And... It's class commentary is garbage. It's awful. Should we round this out by maybe just recapping our list one more time? Just so that we kind of say our whole list. So I can go first. So yeah, uh, we'll go, you know, 10 to one. So my number 10 was the killer. My number nine was the holdovers. My number eight, poor things. Number seven, Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. Six was Barbie. Five. I'm so sorry. I forgot to mention the director, Sofia Coppola's Priscilla. Four, all of us strangers. Three, American fiction. Two, Anatomy of a Fall, and my favorite movie of this year was Past Lives. All right. For me, 10 was Husera the Bone Woman. Nine was Hidden Blade. Eight, Dehumani Corpus Fabrica. Number seven is Godzilla Minus One. Number six is May December. Five is Oppenheimer. Four, Killers of the Flower Moon. Three is Ferrari. Two is The Zone of Interest. And one is The Killer. All right. And for me, 10 was Bo is Afraid. Number nine was John Wick 4. Number eight was Creed 3. Number seven is Ferrari. Number six, Godzilla minus one. Number five, American Fiction. Number four, Anatomy of a Fall. Number three, Mid-December. Number two, Oppenheimer. And number one, Killers of the Flower Moon. All right. Wraps up 2023. Definitely looking forward to 2024. Is there any final words you guys want to say about the year? Yeah, so we'll... Put a little asterisk just because Amir hasn't seen the zone of interest yet, and we will see if that slots in at all. And hopefully that comes to you soon. Yeah, Amir. hopefully you get to do an episode. Wider release, yeah. This is a good time to then end this episode. Jeff, where can people find more of your work? You can find me on my blog at strangeharbors.com, and you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Strange Harbors and also Letterboxd. So my top 20 list is on Letterboxd. It is also on my site. You guys can check it out. And what about you guys? You guys should update your Letterboxd for uh, the top 10s this year. All right, fine. So you can find me updating my Letterboxd (laughs) with my top 10. I'm going to go do it. What about you, Derek? (laughs) I'm lazy and I don't want to say two names. So I actually just changed my Instagram name back to match my Letterboxd name. So it's at the wrong day. You can find me both at Instagram and Letterboxd now. And Well, by the time this episode releases, I will have my top 10 for this year. But I actually, interestingly enough, also went back and put in my top 10 from 2021 and 2022. And I actually reevaluated those years and the list kind of changed. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So like some movies fell off, some movies got added based on, you know, movies I didn't have time to see. Not surprisingly, my number ones didn't change, but even some years, like my numbers too, have you know uh, shifted and and movies have moved up and uh, so if you want an interesting exercise, you can go back and listen to those episodes and then see what my top tens are now. 
You can't do that. Once we do the podcast episode, <laughs> it's written in stone. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's good to see like evolving taste and yeah. what happens years later yeah. down the line, right? Yeah. So hey, and maybe in a couple of years we'll see how this list changes, right? All right. Well, if you like this podcast, the easiest way to support our show is to subscribe where you get your podcast, whether it be Apple, Spotify, Google, or any of the other popular apps. If you're listening to us on Apple or Spotify, please do us a favor and give us a great rating. It really helps to get our voices out to more people. Yeah. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions on our episode on the best movies of 2023, our top 10 list, feel free to shoot us an email at jeff at strangeharbors.com. We like getting listener mail. And sometimes we read it out on the pod. And with that, we will see you guys next week. See you next week, everybody. See you guys then.